the whole speaker thing is not designed for my uh, uh, shape of face or, or whatever that might be. But uh, anyway, um, it's good to be with you. It's good to be back after the trip to India. We really enjoyed going and uh, uh, just that opportunity to go and serve the church out there. They do so appreciate that partnership um, that we have with them there. Why don't we stand if we're able and uh, that'd be great. Um, in, in your own words, why don't you, uh, whatever you feel comfortable doing, but why don't you uh, just invite God to come and meet with you right now? I mean, I can pray, but that doesn't, it's not nearly as effective as you praying for yourself. Um, say phrases like, you know, if it is, my heart is open, um, Lord, speak to me, I'm hungry, I am thirsty for fresh encounter with you. I want to meet with you, Lord God. Just, just in your own words, just, uh, why don't you just uh, reflect something of that back to God. It says in um, Psalm 77, uh, we, we saw it in the prayer meeting this morning, there's this little line, it says this, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? wonder if there are some people here today and uh, you think that God, it feels very much like God has forgotten to be gracious to you, that he has shut up his compassion for you. Just feel your father would want to remind you who he is. He says, I am a compassionate and gracious God. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in love and faithfulness. God has not shut up his compassion. He has not forgotten to be gracious. I pray, Holy Spirit on the back of the worship, on the back of the prayer meeting this morning, I ask you, Holy Spirit, please, would you reveal the Father to us afresh? Would we know afresh in our own lives your compassion invading our hearts? Would we get a fresh revelation of your graciousness, not just generally, not to the church as a whole, but we would get a, a revelation of your grace and compassion to us personally right now. Lord, we, we, we don't just turn up to sing songs to you, we turn up to glorify your name and encounter the living God. And so we say, Holy Spirit, would you come right now, Lord, and invade our hearts. We ask for the duminous, the power of God to come right now. We ask for that. We ask for that. We know, Lord, if we're to live the Christian life as you want us to live it, we cannot do it in our own strength. We need you. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. I pray would you enliven me as I preach, enliven our hearts and minds that we'd be understanders, hearers and doers of your word. 
We ask for that in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we uh, take our seats? Thank you for standing uh, with me um, in that. So important that when we come and uh, come and gather with the saints week by week, that we come with an expectation that we're going to meet with God. Um, this by no means should ever become just going through the motions. Oh, I've, I, you know, I don't know. I've been coming to Kings for the last ten years. That means I've been about 500 times. I know how it's going to work. No, no, coming with open and hungry hearts because God is here. And if he's not here, there is no point us meeting. We, we might as well go and watch a bit of daytime TV or go and play golf or do our weekly shop. But because God is here, we come with open and hungry hearts to meet with him. Because actually, do you know what? It's absolutely possible for you to experience nothing of God today but the person next to you to have a life-changing experience. And, and in a sense, the deciding factor in that, or one of the big factors in it, is your personal hunger and faith and openness to what God wants to do. And so I, and I, I speak to myself as I'm saying it. Oh, we don't want to just be a church that goes through the motions in some way, but, but, but oh, God, speak to me. What could you do this morning... As I gather with the saints to worship the King of Kings, what could you do, God, this morning as the Word of God, which is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, what could happen in my own heart? What could happen in my own heart as I gather with the saints, the holy ones? Um, Amen. Amen? Good, good. I think I'm going to need you to be awake and alive this morning, so you're up for a bit of participation on the way through. Excellent. Well, look, before we start the preach, but if you're looking for a Bible verse to turn to, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 4. I have the privilege of continuing the uh, devoted preach series. Um, We're we're going to be uh, working our way through that. We're going to be looking um, at the centrality um, of the gospel when it comes to lifting people out of poverty. Um, But before I do that, um, I just want to share some news, some stuff's been going on in church life in the background, and I just feel it's really important that um, as a uh, leadership team, as an eldership team, we are very, very open with you with what is going on um, at the moment. As you know, we've been planning uh, for the last three years to plant a venue into Central St. Leonard's, and it's brilliant that we're going to be meeting down there next Saturday, we're going to be praying again, get down there and pray. Um, over that time, we've appointed John and our Wales into leadership. They've come down from Hartlepool um, to join us. We've gathered a leadership team. Um, we've been praying regularly. We've got boots on the ground through different things we're doing, through the pilot meetings that have been going on um, on a bi-monthly uh, basis. And we said from the very beginning that in planting this venue that is a little bit different, it would be really good to have a permanent base down there, some sort of physical building that we can operate from. Whether that is leased, whether that is rented, whether we own it, we don't know what, but to have a building in the middle of St. Leonard's would be really, really helpful. At the end of the last year, we became aware that the WRVS building just off London Road was going to be coming on the market. Um, If I'm honest, it shows what I know about buildings. I thought, well, there'd be no one interested in that tatty old building down in central St. Leonard's, who would know, you know? But actually, pretty much from the very beginning, um, there was quite a lot of interest 
in this building. And it got to the point where um, the client set a deadline that on the 29th of January, which was a few weeks ago, anyone that was interested had to put in their highest and final offer on the building um, for them to consider it. Um, we, we didn't like the date of the 29th of January. It didn't work for us. Um, in part, that's because me and Alid were both in India, so 50% of the eldership team in India doesn't work very well if we're trying to make big decisions like that. But we also didn't like it in a sense that it didn't give us a chance to take you on a journey with us um, in it. And so we went back to the client and we asked, is it possible to get an extension of time? Is it possible to have it extended beyond the 29th so as a church family we can come on a journey together, which is a real key thing for us? Um, although we tried to persuade and although we asked, the client would not move on it. They said the 29th, that's it. If you're interested, you're going to have to put an offer in by then. So as trustees and elders, we prayerfully considered it over um, uh, a number of days and felt, no, this, this could be an open door from God. This, this might be of God. And we felt it was right to put an offer in. But an offer based only on what we had, as it were, in the bank, what was available to us. Um, We didn't feel it was right to get a mortgage. We didn't feel it was right to stretch ourselves in that way. And so after uh, lots of work by Claire and the accounts team and various other things, we put together an offer that we could put in based on what we had in the bank and an interest-free loan that someone was willing to offer us um, in connection with with it. We put the offer in on the 29th of January. Um, This week we heard... Um, back from the client that they um, are not interested in our offer. They've, heard, they've received a higher offer than the one that we have put in, and so they won't be pursuing um, what we have put in, which is, a, which is a real shame. You may ask, why, Paul, are you even telling us this, as it's, it's been and it's gone and it's not of interest? Um, as elders, we really want to be as transparent as we can. And whether it's good news, bad news, or no news, we we want to tell you and let you know what is um, going on. We haven't been actively searching for a building in central St. Leonard's, although we are aware that where we're meeting at the moment in Concordia Hall is not a great fit for us. And so we are seeking God and praying for a better solution. It looks like the WRVS building is closed to us. Oh, there is a photo of the WRVS building. Ah, did that go up earlier? No? That's what it looks like anyway. I said it was tatty. So uh, um, it looks like it's closed down to us, but you never know. And so we would just really ask for you as church to prayerfully stand with us that God will lead and guide us as we look for a home for the St. Leonard's building. Is that all right? Excellent. I'm now going to disconnect myself from this microphone and I'm going to go back to a handheld because I feel more comfortable. Brilliant. Is this on? On? Excellent. I feel much, I feel much more at home now. I've got something in my hand uh, that, I, that I can grasp. Brilliant. Has everyone found Luke chapter 4? Excellent. I'll uh, take that... Uh, sort of silence as a uh, a yes. So this morning we're going to be looking um, at the danger of disconnect. There is a danger that when it comes to um, looking um, and, and looking to lift people out of poverty, 
that it can get disconnected from the gospel. That as a church, we can either focus on preaching the gospel or we can focus on lifting people out of poverty, whereas I think the two are both supposed to go hand in hand. They, are, they, they go together. This is how God has designed it to be. And we're going to start by looking at Luke chapter 4 to see what Jesus um, said about it. So Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was the custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, he found the place where it was written, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty for the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's interesting that Luke chooses to start with this preach. It's not the first preach that Jesus had done. It wasn't the first ministry that Jesus had done. But Luke wanted to start here. What what is it? What is it that this passage says? What is it that's going on? What does Jesus say? He starts by saying, you know what? The Holy Spirit has anointed me. He says, the Holy Spirit, I I am smothered in the Holy Spirit. I have been empowered by the Duminous, the Holy Spirit of God for a particular function. As I said when I was praying earlier, when I was exalting and encouraging you, do you know what the things that we're called to do, we cannot do in our own strength. They're far beyond us, but we haven't been left on our own just as Jesus was anointed and empowered by the third person of the Trinity, the Duminous of God. So we also are empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry, for the very things that God has called us to do. What is it that Jesus was empowered to do? Well, the first thing is to proclaim good news for the poor. That's the first thing that he says, proclaim There is good news for the poor. There is a gospel message. There is a way of salvation and it is good news for everyone. But if you know you're poor here today, it is particularly good news for you. And then he goes on to define it more. He goes on to break it down. He says, to proclaim liberty for the captives. So if you are caught up, if you are a captive in some way, maybe it is in your mind. Maybe it is in your heart or your emotions or maybe you feel you're a captive in debt. There is good news. There is freedom for the captives to to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. We're going to see in a minute that Jesus specialised in opening the eyes of blind people. But it wasn't just physical healing he was talking about. He was talking about spiritual um, blindness being lifted off people. Those who thought they had no hope, those who thought they were totally trapped in their sin, and suddenly they realised there is a way of salvation. There is a way that I can know the living God. There is an opening of eyes for those who are blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. People who are oppressed with sin 
and addiction and brokenness and emotional torment. Maybe even the schemes of the enemy have got all over them and are pushing them down to set at liberty those who are oppressed. It says in the Isaiah passage that Natalie spoke about in the first week of this series, to bind up the brokenhearted. I mean, how many brokenhearted people are there around us? Brokenhearted people. Opening a prison for those who are bound and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then Jesus says, today, today this scripture has been fulfilled. Why? Because Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom. He's bringing in a new age. This is, something's changing here today, is basically is what he was saying then. What does he then go on and do? Well, firstly, he gets rejected in the synagogue. They chuck him out. They're not pleased with him at all. But then he goes, on, um, he goes on a bit of a mini tour around the area. He is teaching and proclaiming with authority. People say when they listen to him, I've never heard anyone speak with such authority as Jesus. Why? The doomness of God, the empowering, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is upon him. Not only that, he sets a demon-oppressed man free in a moment. Can you imagine that? This, this guy that's absolutely racked with the works of the enemy and the devil, and he encounters Jesus, and in a moment, Jesus sets him free. This, this is a fulfillment of the Isaiah 61 passage. And then we find in uh, chapter 4, later on in chapter 4, we find that Peter's mother-in-law gets healed of a fever. Brilliant, great. But then other people who are demon-possessed, demon-oppressed, and everyone who was sick in that area, they come to Jesus and he heals them all. And he preaches good news of the kingdom. Jesus starts his ministry by bringing this new kingdom manifesto. There is a new kingdom. There is a new rule and reign that has appeared. Jesus was bringing it in. And we are part of that. We are part of that kingdom. We carry that kingdom message. We carry that kingdom authority. And we're to take it out. We are to extend it ourselves. It's something that we do. We go out. We are salt. We are light. We make a difference um, in, in our localities. God's kingdom has arrived. His rule and reign has turned up in the neighborhood. This means the sick get healed. The spiritually oppressed get set free. Good news is proclaimed. And all this is a gospel kingdom transformation. If you read lower down in Isaiah 61, which Natalie uh, looked at, it says, um, if I can find it, my notes have just skipped. Where am I? Who knows where am I? It says this, it says, they are, they are going to be a planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. This is a work of the kingdom. So when we're thinking about seeing people lifted out of poverty and we're looking at Isaiah 61 and we're looking at Luke chapter 4, it's, this is a kingdom work. It only gets fulfilled in the kingdom. The fullest extent of it is seen in the kingdom as we see that um, it flourishing and, and expanding. Now what, what is the context of this passage? You can tell actually I'm quite enthusiastic about this. I want you to get enthusiastic with me about this. It encourages me, keeps me going. Um, what, what, what is the context of this? It talks, doesn't it, about the year of the Lord's favour. This is the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. This was an incredible year. Do you know the year of Jubilee happened um, for the people of Israel? It only happened once every 50 years. So it's like a once-in-a-lifetime year. It's quite incredible. And it's a year of rest. Who would like a year of rest? 
Yeah, I thought, I thought that, could be, that would be quite popular. The difference is this year of rest, may not, you may not be quite so popular when you hear how it works. The year of rest means that you, you don't plant any crops, you don't do any harvesting, you live simply off the land. It's a year of faith. What you're saying is I'm going to lay aside my effort and my work and I'm going to lean into God and I'm going to trust God that what grows naturally from itself off the land is going to be enough to sustain us. Anyone want a year of rest? Less popular now. But this, this is in a sense at the heart of what the year of Jubilee was about. But then there's other things as well. It was also a, a, a year of incredible freedom and liberty. You see, if I have got in debt and had to sell my lands, my family inheritance, and, and I may have got in debt because I bet too much money on the camel racing, or I may have got in debt because of a famine or a crisis like that which was completely beyond my control, but if, if I get in debt and I have to sell my lands, after 50 years, a year of Jubilee, they get returned to me. Doesn't matter why I lost them, they come back to me, they come back to my family. If things had got even worse and I got sold into slavery to pay my debts, at the end of the 50 years, if I'm a Hebrew slave, I get set free. I am, I am a free person and so is my family as well. This was an incredible year for the nation of Israel. It was good news for everyone, but it was particularly good news if you were in poverty because it was freedom. It meant, that, that, it meant that, that poverty didn't get passed from one generation to another because it, it reset again. Every 50 years it would get reset. It didn't matter if it was my fault that the, de- the, the poverty had come on me or someone else or something else. It got reset. So it meant that I was never trapped in that situation. My children would always get the chance for a fresh start. This is a reflection of God's heart for everyone. God loves the poor, God loves the rich, God loves everyone in between, but he is concerned about those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, who don't have hope that they get a chance of a fresh start, that it's built into society, that it's built into God's kingdom. And this is what Jesus preached out of. He wasn't talking here that the Old Testament year of Jubilee would be re-inaugurated or brought back in. But he said that there is this kingdom uh, reality that is invading right now that is good news for everyone. It is good news for the poor, just like it was the year of Jubilee. This is a permanent year that's going to run through. It's what we are part of now, bringing salvation and access to God, freedom from spiritual oppression, healing, physical, emotional, mental, that his church family... The church family will be a place where people are loved um, and cared for. A new community where people are lifted out of poverty. It's a reflection of God's heart then. And this new kingdom age is a reflection of what we are in now. Do you, do you see the link? Do you see why Jesus used that? Why Luke wanted that at the beginning? And think it through. Who would have been in the bottom? Who would be at the bottom of the pile in Israel at Jesus' time? Wouldn't it have been the blind, the lame, the mute? Wouldn't it have been those that were oppressed by evil spirits? Wouldn't they be the ones that were, were begging and asking for others' help? Aren't they the very ones that Jesus met in a moment, broke the evil 
brokenness that are coming on the back of sin, seeing people set free, that they can follow Jesus, that they can be lifted up, that they can be honoured. The gospel and lifting people out of poverty goes hand in hand. Jesus didn't minister exclusively to the poor, but it is particularly good news for them. Can you imagine if you've been sat at the side of the road, unable to see, and you heard this gospel message, this kingdom message, this is the year of the Lord's favour. Can you imagine the hope that would have started to well up in your heart as you started hearing about this wonderful saviour, Jesus Christ, who has the power to set people free from their blindness. Can you imagine the hope that would come to the disadvantaged, the overlooked the despised, that this Jesus, he's offering a salvation, he's offering a kingdom, and I can come. I can come. In actual fact, he said, it's good news for you. It's really good news for you. Listen to what it says in James 2, verse 5. Let, let these words provoke me. They provoke, provoke you. They provoke me. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. When it comes to the kingdom, it's a topsy-turvy kingdom. You may be poor financially. You may be poor emotionally. You may be poor relationally. You may be struggling in no end of things, but this is your inheritance. God has chosen you to be rich in faith. And when you read the Gospels, there's nothing like faith that gets Jesus going. He's either really wound up with his disciples for their lack of faith, or he commends the centurion or the, the, the um, Syrophoenician woman for their great faith. If you feel poor here today, if you know you are poor here today, no, God has this incredible inheritance for you. Because we love people, we look to meet their immediate needs. Because we love people, we tell them about Jesus. The two things go hand in hand. We must keep the gospel central in all we do. When we help those in poverty, if we don't tell them about Jesus, we may help them in their immediate need, but we fail them when it comes to eternity. We are called to love everyone and raise heads. What does Jesus say in Luke 9, 25? For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, if he forfeits or loses himself? Preaching the gospel and living out, lifting people out of poverty go hand in hand. What good does it do if we feed the hungry but don't tell them about Jesus? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? What Jesus is saying is our, souls have got, our soul is of great worth. In actual fact, nothing in the whole world comes close to the value of one soul. So we preach the gospel 
as we look to see people lifted out of poverty. I, I know I'm saying the same thing again and again, but I'm judging you by my standards, okay? And it normally takes at least 25 times before it sort of, it, it drops in a little bit. Some people in the church think that, well, if you just preach the gospel, then people start following Jesus. Then, then in a sense, you know, their lives get a little bit more order to it. And you reduce poverty that way. That's all you need to do. Just preach the gospel, make disciples, and everything will be all right. It's sort of called like a trickle-down effect. They say that the answer to poverty just lies in people becoming Christians. I think the true, the impact of true conversion is massive. I don't want to underplay it, but that isn't enough. If we don't look to engage with the real aspects of poverty, if we don't look to make a difference, we will not make the difference that we're looking to see. And also, we won't be holding true to what we saw in the New Testament church, and we won't be holding true to what we see in church history. We need to both preach the gospel and lift people out of poverty. We do both together. The reality is the devil uses poverty to draw them into sin. William Booth said that. He, he hated poverty because he saw in so many indications that people were tempted and drawn into sin because their poverty trapped them there and they had no other way of getting out. So it's not how God designed it. We need to battle both. Every scheme of the enemy, we look to make a difference. We are an army called by God to extend the kingdom and use whatever means we have in our hands. Telling people about Jesus, helping those in need in front of us. What does Jesus say? I'm dramatically running over. What does Jesus say in, in 1 John 3, 17? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Ooh. What about Acts 2, 44? And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Selling possessions and belongings and distributing it to those who had need. Do we want to be a New Testament church? Well done. I'm going to, you know, I'm a very gracious person. I'm going to give you another chance to see if you can engage a bit more enthusiastically. Do we want to be a New Testament church? Yes. yes. I mean, I know we say yes to it when it comes to praying for the sick. When it's seen lots of people come to know Jesus, we say yes, yes, yes. What, what about some of these things? They're harder. They hit your wallet. They hit your wallet. What about this in James? James is really punchy. If you didn't know that, read it. It'll convict you. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, 
without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Aren't you pleased that James is not your pastor? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is it's dead. Now, there's a real danger for me that I pick the bits of the Bible I like and I ignore the bits that I don't like. I don't like these bits because they make me feel uncomfortable on the inside and they impact me when it comes to things like gift days. They impact me when it comes to how I interact with those around me. What about Matthew 6, verse 30, uh, verses 3 and 4? But when you give to the needy, it's assumed, Jesus is assuming you will give to the needy. That's his default setting. So if we're not giving to the needy, we've got a sub-biblical experience. So we need to put it right. I don't think that's necessarily talking about giving to gift days either. I think that's talking about giving to the needy. That's someone in front of you and you give something to them to help them. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We're very good at that bit normally, the left and the right hand part, so that your your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then Matthew 5 verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. How often do we then quickly put the words and be wise after it? It's not in the original Greek. There's no caveats about wisdom. It just says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you as we are generous and reflect something of Jesus' generosity to those around us. It causes them to ask, even if they take advantage of us, oh, wow, why are they like that? David Adams says this in Embracing the Poor. It is not simply a matter of throwing resources at a particular context of poverty. Rather, it is a genuine, heartfelt invitation from those who have received God's mercy. Come with us and we will do you good. It's about drawing others who are poor and in need into God's community of faith so they in turn will be caught up with God's great mission. We have both a personal and corporate responsibility when it comes to those in poverty. We have a personal responsibility to love the person in front of us, to ask the Holy Spirit, open our eyes to what's going on in the supermarket, at the school gate, in the workplace. How can I reflect something of your heart to those who don't know Jesus, particularly those who are in poverty? But we also have a responsibility corporately. I am so proud of Dozens and dozens of you for the way you serve the poor and the disadvantaged across the church. Whether it's Baby Basics, whether it's Food Bank, whether it's Syrian refugee resettlement stuff, whether it's uh, helping those out of trafficking, whether it's linked lunch, whether it's tots. It's incredible what we do and I, I believe God's got more for us as well. but we also have a personal responsibility to act as well. In a few moments' time, you're going to get the opportunity to give financially to what we're doing as we look to serve the poor. I, I, I would just ask you to be generous. I was praying and thinking about it earlier in the week, 
and I'd come up with a figure in my own mind that was acceptable to me and I was really hoping would be acceptable to the Holy Spirit. And all he said to me was, Paul, how much have you spent on leisure in the last couple of months, on your personal leisure activities? Not, not, not things like mortgage, not stuff like sh- shopping or, or paying the bills, but just on, you know, Paul, have you booked any holidays? Have you gone to the cinema? Have you had a trip to the pub? Have you gone out for lunch? How much have you spent on that? And then really the Holy Spirit didn't need to say any more to me than that. Because I realised that the figure that I'd come up with, which may have been acceptable to me and my wallet, maybe the Holy Spirit had slightly higher expectations for me than that when it came to this gift day. We've not done a social action gift day before. This is the first time we've ever done something for the projects that we are presently running in the church and what we are, I don't know, what God may call us into in the future. We just don't know. Can I ask you, church, to give first and foremost to God as an act of worship and submission to him, but then just pause for a moment and think, are you investing your riches into something that's going to come in the future, or are you really investing them into yourself? It's not bad to, it's not wrong. If God's blessed you with money, that's absolutely wonderful. Just make sure you're generous with it. Can I invite the band back up, please? And as we close, I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to ask you to have a look at the giving forms that you were handed on the way in. If you haven't got one, feel free to move to one of the tables uh, nearby. There's, there's them there. You can pledge. If you haven't come prepared, um, you might be a bit like me. Sometimes you get caught out by these things. Um, you can grab one off the table. Maybe put a pledge in. Say, well, actually, I've got no money on me now. I'm not in a position to do it. But, but actually, um, I can pledge. I'll give something in the future. I'll give something when my next pay packet comes in. Or, or in a couple of months' time. That is absolutely fine. There are pens on the table as well if you want to fill that in. Why don't we actually just stand as we're doing that? And I'm just going to give you 30 seconds just to have a think about it. And then Alid and the band are going to lead us through from there.
Okay. So just while we're singing this song, here's your opportunity to give. So if you haven't got pens or anything, there's three buckets. There's one over there and that R1 and this R1 over there.